Tonight we're going to be back in John chapter 3, and uh, we're going to look at a few more verses and just see what the Lord has for us. Um, if you remember last week, uh, well, the whole time we've been in John chapter 3, uh, Jesus has been trying to explain to Nicodemus what it is to be born again, what, it requ- what is required for him to enter into heaven. Um, last week, we ended in verse number 12. If, ye ha- if I have told ye earthly things and ye, have, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And we tied that in with the meat and the milk of the word. And uh, we saw that Nicodemus was struggling with the milk. Um, so today, as we continue on in verses number 13 through 17... Uh, we're going to see that Christ understands Nicodemus' struggle, and he's going to go back to the milk of the Word. So, uh, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 3 and verse number 13 is where we're going to start. And the Bible says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse number 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We see here, uh, I don't know, this feels odd in this story to me. As I read through it, uh, that Christ goes back to, uh, you know, no man. He said that he's not going to tell him of heavenly things, but he says that no man hath ascended up to heaven except uh, this man that came down from heaven. But we understand here that this is Christ is taking Nicodemus back to the Old Testament, back to what he has studied, and we'll see that Christ is in the Old Testament. That uh, you know, the Bible tells us that starting with Moses and the prophets that. Jesus went through on the road to Emmaus and and expounded on the word to the disciples that he found on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. He started at Moses. And, uh, but it actually starts before that. Um, We know that we went back to Genesis chapter 1 and and saw Christ in Genesis chapter 1. We saw Christ in Genesis chapter 3. And here, Christ is referring to, I believe, Genesis chapter 28, uh, which is the story of Jacob's ladder. Uh, Jacob, who would become Israel, um, is on his way home. He has fled from Esau, and but now he's on his way home. He's spent his time in, uh, away, and he's been lied to and cheated and done all the things that he has, had all the things that he has done, done unto him. Um, so, in Genesis 28, we're going to start in verse number 10, and we're going to read through, and, and I'll, I'll tie it all together. Verse number 10 says, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou, li- whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee, and in thy seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So, 
Jacob, as he's dreaming, he sees this ladder. And we looked in John chapter 1 and we understood that this ladder was Christ Himself. Christ is the only being that can ascend, that can walk between heaven and earth uh, willingly. Every, everyone else has to travel with Christ. And that was an interesting thought back in John chapter 1 when we looked at the fact that jo- in Job that Satan was in heaven when he'd been walking the earth. That means Christ had to take him there. So Christ, as he's speaking to Nicodemus, is taking Nicodemus all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to the first book that Moses penned, uh, the history of the Jews, and he's taking him to Jacob, the father of Israel, and saying, look, Jacob saw me. Uh, Then he uses the phrase, the son of man. Uh, The son of man, Christ calls himself, and this is a direct reference to Daniel, uh, Daniel 7, 13 through 14, um, and it shows a connection to man and his com- in his coming to earth. So if we turn to Daniel, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. <clears throat> and verse number 13. This is Daniel. Uh, speaking about a vision he says i saw in the night visions and behold one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people nations and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away for his kingdom that that which shall not be destroyed sorry and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed Daniel is, is seeing a vision of the millennial reign, of the eternal reign of Christ, and he calls Christ the Son of Man. So, again, Christ is just taking Nicodemus back to what he should know, what he should have studied. But that title, the Son of Man, is interesting because Christ came to this earth as a man, born of a virgin, and he died on this earth as a man born of a virgin. But he was also completely deity. That's why the word son is capitalized. But this phrase also, not only does it prophesy his birth as a man, but it prophesies his death for man. Uh, tying this back in Exodus chapter 20, um, we see God make a proclamation. That pro- proclamation will later be uh, changed in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, where God shows His grace and His mercy. But here, in Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 5, we see... I guess let's just start in verse number 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. We skip ahead to chapter 34 of Exodus. And again, we'll start in verse number 1. 
Exodus chapter 34, verse number 1 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before the mount. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning, and went up unto Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hands the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud, and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, and upon the children's children, unto the third and the fourth generation." Again, God repeats himself that the iniquity of the fathers is going to be passed on to the third and the fourth generation, on to the children. This is why in Genesis, when Adam sinned in the garden, our sin nature was passed down. Uh, Why we have that sin nature. It's also why as we uh, raise our children, that our children, the saying is what we do in moderation, our children will do in excess. Uh, that can be both good or bad. If we uh, if we serve the Lord and, and worship Him in moderation and teach them, they should do that in excess. But also on the bad side, uh, when we let those tiny infant, those small sins in, then they're multiplied in our children. But our children pay the price. Um, we go back to Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, when he was found to be praying unto God instead of praying unto the king and they threw him into the lion's den. The king comes and and brings him back out the next morning. He's not hurt. And they throw the 12 men in and their whole families. And before they hit the bottom, the lions have the mastery of them and eat them and destroy them. They threw their whole families in. Um, In the book of Joshua, when they take... Right after they've taken Jericho, the children of Israel, they've marched around Jericho. They go on to Ai without seeking the Lord, and they're defeated at Ai, and they have that big trial. And um, I had it, and now it's gone. Who? Achan. Achan. Achan is brought out as having stolen, uh, as having taken from the Lord silver and gold and a Babylonish garment. And you'll notice it's not just him that's destroyed. It's his whole family. It's his cattle. Everything he has is destroyed to blot out the sin of Israel. And that, that's really all of these things tie together to, to foreshadow Christ's death that it's not going to just be for Israel. It's going to be for the whole world. Um, Christ, as the Son of Man, had to come as a man and then had to die as a man in order to pay this, the penalty for man. Christ goes on in John chapter 3. He continues uh, to, in verse number 14, And as Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Uh, If you remember back in Numbers, Numbers 21, verses 6 through 9, this is the thing that I was thinking of earlier when we were talking about there's nothing new under the sun. Um, Numbers 21, and verse 6 through 9, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. 
Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery, fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. These were things that the children of Israel had to place their faith and trust in this serpent. Now, it's odd to me that it's a serpent. Satan came as a serpent and tempted Eve. But God in his wisdom, I'll never completely understand until we're in heaven with him and he teaches me uh, why he chose the serpent. But he chose to have Moses make a fiery serpent. And Christ is likening himself to that serpent. He's foreshadowing what he's going to have to do. Now the part that I said there's nothing new under the sun, if you've been around uh, any EMS per personnel, emergency services, um, they will have a blue patch on their arm that is a six-pointed star, looks kind of like an asterisk, uh, with a serpent or serpents wrapped around a pole. That's where that comes from. Um, all the way back in the book of Numbers. Uh, most EMS professionals won't be able to tell you that but because they're not believers, but that's where that comes from. So now that Christ has gone back to the Old Testament, he's coming back to the future. He's coming back now uh, to what is going on now. And the important thing in verse number 14 is he says, and as Moses. Now, if you study your Bible very much uh, and you know the English language very well, you understand that the words like and as are prepositions. <clears throat> and they mean they, they're, they're comparison words. The word as, uh, used in this role, means something taking the place of or something in the role of. So Christ is saying that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's foretelling his death and how he's going to die in the beginning of John to Nicodemus. He's saying that just as Moses lifted up that serpent, I'm going to have to be lifted on a cross and die. But... Something different here is he's not just dying for Israel. The serpents were up there, uh, the fiery serpent or the serpent on the pole was up there just for Israel. Now, in verse number 15, it is that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. Whosoever is any person, it's all persons. This means that any person who believes on the Son of Man on the cross will have eternal life. Now, it's not just believing that Christ was there. It is just as the Israelites had to do, they had to place their faith in what that represented in order for them to be healed. They had to trust the brass serpent. Just as the serpent didn't exclude any of the Israelites, the, cro the cross won't exclude any people. Um, because it says whosoever believeth, it doesn't mean just those people that believe. That had to be offered to everybody. For anyone to believe, it had to be offered for, for everybody. And then in verse number 16, probably the most famous verse in the world uh, out of the Bible is copied many times by many different things, uh, many different people that, that try to twist it and make it uh, something different. But it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Again, God repeats his statement and he emphasizes 
that this is a gift. He emphasizes that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But he also emphasizes that this is a gift. This is not earned. This also helps to include all. It puts uh, the rich and the poor on the same level. As a matter of fact, Christ, as he goes through the Gospels, uh, many times as he's speaking, he will point out, uh, I think we looked at it this morning, how hard it is for the rich to enter into the heaven because they have need of nothing. They have want of nothing, including God. They trust in themselves. They trust in their money. They trust in their idol. And because of that, they refuse God. But God is, is turning up the volume. And that's, I, I think we, we've talked about it before, when God repeats himself, it's not because, well, it's because we didn't get it. But it's because he it's emphasized more and more. It, it's like earlier when we pointed out the uh, exclamation point. Those are not used. I, I haven't done a study to find out exactly how many there are in the Bible. I know of two uh, for sure, but I, and I couldn't tell you where the second one was right now, but I know there's another one. But that, that punctuation is not used often. And so those are important things. Those are God being more forceful, being more urgent. And, and the fact that he repeats himself in the very next verse is hugely important. But verse number 17 is often missed. We quote verse 16 all the time. We might even quote verse 15 because it says basically the same thing. But verse 17 is often missed. It's often forgotten. We read over it and just kind of gloss over it. But it is Christ's purpose. Christ's sole purpose on this earth is found in verse number 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, uh, we as Christians, we tend to not be forgiving. We tend to be uh, people that that judge that that uh, and that's really not that's the focus of our study in the morning in Sunday school and our lessons in obedience through Jonah is to help us to understand what it is to be a biblical Christian. Um, many today that would call themselves Christians uh, would not understand that Christ isn't here to condemn yet and that we shouldn't be here to condemn either. Um, one of the things that turned me off, I, I think I've, I've told you this before, as a young man is um, I, would go to, I would go to church with my grandparents at the Methodist Church here in town. And on Sunday, I would uh, walk in and people would uh, look down their noses at me. They, they, would, they would look at me like I was a second-class citizen, like I was a leper, like I was unclean because uh, more than likely I had spent the Saturday before, the night before, in the bar with my mom. Uh, but knowing that the only reason they knew that was because they were there with me. So me as a young man, not understanding uh, what was going on, they are treating me badly for something that, one, I had no control over because I was obeying my parent, and two, for something that they do on the same time, at the same, in the same manner as the parent that was, that was taking me to these places. Uh, so I saw a lot of hypocrisy. And we see that a lot in our churches today. Um, many churches, yeah, and I, I've been guilty of it. Uh, I think I told the story of being down in Oklahoma at the church planners conference, and and uh, they're taking up the offering, 
And the guy that hands me the plate, I happen to be sitting on the aisle, and the guy that hands me the plate, you can just see his hands are covered in tattoos. He's got them peeking out under the collar on his shirt. And my first thought was not, praise the Lord, he's here and he's clean. He's the maniac of Gadara that's been healed. My first thought was, I don't know if I want him to have my money. <laughs> you know, that's a horrible thing. And, and God, God struck me in the heart about that while I was sitting there as I took the plate from him. That fleeting thought in my mind, God, you know, cuffed me upside the head and said, wake up. But, you know... What a great story from that man. He had gotten saved out of prison and, and had turned his life around and at 40 years old was going to Bible college and serving and, and wanting to continue on. And God had allowed him uh, to keep, uh, while he had a checkered past, had allowed him to keep his life clean that he was actually able to still be a pastor. Uh, God had turned his life around that much. But instead of seeing the glory of God in that instant, I began to judge. And our churches today, we see that. We see somebody walk in the back door and, and maybe they smell a little funny or they look a little funny. Maybe they don't uh, dress the way we dress. And we immediately uh, begin to make judgments. Now, God tells us. He, doesn't, he never tells us not to judge because we have to be able to judge and make judgment calls in order to protect our families, in order to lead our families. We have to be able to keep our families away from those things that are bad for us. But he tells us not to condemn. It's not our job to condemn. It's our job to love as Christ loved and to help and be a blessing and to help point them to Christ. Christ was not sent here to condemn the world. The world has been condemned already. We, we see that in verse number 18. We didn't go there. Uh, but the world is already condemned. It's already on its way to hell. It is our job, as Christ said in verse number 12, if I have told you, or sorry, in verse number 11, verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and you receive not our witness. We are to speak and to testify of what we know and what we've seen, what God has done for us, so that the world might be saved. In salvation, Christ's role is purely to offer a way of salvation. 1 Corinthians 10.13, uh, we talked about it this morning. Um, I'm going to turn there again, and I'm going to read it again, just because it is so important. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may able may be able to bear it. He was that escape. He was that way. And we have to choose to take that way. That's why the word might be saved is in the end of verse 17. Through him might be saved. It's not because there is a group of people that are not allowed to get saved. It's because there are a group of people that knowing the truth willingly refuse to accept it. Some will choose to, re to, to uh, reject Christ. This word might is not a statement of doubt in Christ's power, but of doubt in man's will. And it's not up to us or even to Christ who is going to choose him. It's just up to us to be the watchman to proclaim the truth. To be the one that holds up the mirror and says, Look, this is where you're headed. If you continue down this path, this is where you're headed. 
So, uh, we're going to get out of here really early today, but that's okay. Christ very plainly reveals to Nicodemus his purpose in this world. He does this in terms that Nicodemus should understand. And he's done the same for us. Our purpose now is to proclaim Christ's purpose. One day, Christ will return as judge, and he will pass sentence on all those who have refused to accept the gift. Again, that's not our role. That's Christ's role. Our role is to tell what we know and to witness what we have seen to warn the world of the coming judgment and of the coming judge. And that's why this morning, as we, we talked about and, and I shared, you know, it's, it's hard. For Jonah, it was hard to go back to Nineveh and to say, repent, because he wanted them to be destroyed. He knew the world. He knew how they, they treated him, and he hated them. And for us as Christians, it's hard for us to get past the judgment, to get past uh, the knowledge of what is out there, and to just get to the love. Now, um, again, it's not our job to judge. It's not our job to condemn. We have to judge in order to protect and, and save or keep our families safe. But it's our world, our job to warn. We are to be that watchman. Uh, that standeth on the wall and warneth of the coming army uh, so that, honestly, the blood of the world is not on our hands. Uh, I, I, I wish that I could say, as Paul said, that uh, he was not guilty of the blood of any man. Um, I wish that they, there were people, I, I know that there are people in my life that I have looked at and walked the other way knowing that I should witness to them, knowing... Uh, that I should reach out to them. And I, and I have walked the other way simply because um, I was fearful, simply because I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't feel good or I, I just I didn't want to put myself in that situation. Um, I think I've told this story here. If not, I've, I've told it so many times. But as we did the tomb, uh, the pastor in Missouri is a very interesting man. He thinks out of the box. That's where we got the idea for Goliath from. Um, but... When we were there for our first project, uh, we were about halfway through remodeling the kitchen and we're getting ready to come up on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, I think we had like two weeks uh, before Resurrection Sunday and, and he said that he came up to me one day and he said, um, the uh, man that donated the, all the epoxy stuff for the floor in here, he owns this 18 acres up by the grocery store. Uh, it's been for sale for years. Um, I talked to him the other day, and he'll, he's going to let us use it, and we're going to go build a tomb up there. And we're going to post guards 24 hours a day um, until from the Wednesday through until resurrection morning. And uh, we're going to put three crosses up there. He says, I need you to help me build it. First off, I'm going, okay, um, you're giving me this much notice. Uh, sorry, Wyatt, I just did it to you this morning. But... Um, get used to it. It'll happen all the time. But then my second thought was, I can build all this stuff, but am I willing to go stand guard? What is that going to do? And uh, I know the first night, I, I, I was one of the first soldiers to go stand guard after the, the afternoon service that, e that evening. And um, I know that first night it was a little weird. It was a little eerie standing there with another man and we're talking and we're having great conversation just the two of us two Christians standing out in front of the tomb 
you know, in, in Roman uniform and, and uh, of course it's made out of cardboard, you know, um, I was so sore because I had to stand like this because they just made it, they made it big enough for the biggest guy and didn't make any for the smaller guy. So I had to stand like this the whole time and the cardboard was hitting my elbows. Um, I couldn't put my arms down. Uh, so I was, I got to work out. But I, then I remember standing there around the fire and I look up and there's somebody coming towards us. And uh, I'm trying to recognize, is that somebody from the church? Is it somebody coming to stand guard later? What's going on? And I realize it's somebody from the community and they've got something in their hand and it's about nine o'clock at night and it's dark. And I'm like, um, okay, Lord, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. And, and they were coming up bringing us hot chocolate. It was cold. It was like 28 degrees. It was cold. Uh, they're bringing us hot chocolate and gloves because we were not prepared. We did it in a hurry. And through that whole experience, um, we saw the love and the joy in the community. You know, I'm always one that prepares for the worst case scenario. And uh, I, never, I never look at the possibilities of the good. I always look at the bad. Um, I'm very thankful when the good comes. So we went through all of that, stood guard, had a wonderful time, led several people to the Lord, had a beautiful sunrise service out there on resurrection morning. Uh, God parted the clouds right as the pastor began to preach, and, and two uh, airplanes left calm trails in, and made a cross in the sky right above Indeed. the tomb. Just awesome. Um, about a week later, we still hadn't gotten over there to tear the stuff down. I, I'm so thankful the landlord is very forgiving. Uh, he let us keep it up as long as we want. But I noticed that a storm had come through and one of the crosses was starting to lean over. So I sent the, we were going to the Chinese restaurant and I sent Rachel and the kids over to order. And of course I took the keys and locked the truck and I walked across the street and was trying to get the, the cross set up. And as I'm messing with that, trying to get it stood back up, I look up and there's three bikers in full leather walking across the the grass to me and and it's like a football field and a half to get to where I'm at so again instead of being optimistic and and looking forward to speaking to these guys and witnessing I'm getting nervous because I'm standing out here in the middle of nowhere trying to prop up a cross and these three giant bikers are walking towards me and I'm just you know everything had gone so well I'm just waiting for something bad to happen and uh Thankfully, they had heard about the tomb. Uh, they were on their way. They were a, a brotherhood of Christian bikers that they, they travel around and they go to hospitals and they pray with patients. And they had been on their way to go pray with a, a little girl that I think had leukemia. And uh, one of them uh, had gotten a phone call on the way there that the girl had been released. She'd been sent home, so they didn't need to go to the hospital. So uh, his wife, while he was on the phone with her, had told him about the cross. And they had traveled from Kansas uh, over to see the cross on their bikes. And uh, just, I spent, you know, 15, 20 minutes talking with them, prayed with them a little bit, and turned around and realized that Rachel and the kids are sitting on the tailgate eating because they're locked out of the truck. <laughs> but my, my first thought is, oh no, here's these guys that, that are big and scary, and, and I don't want to be here. And we can't be that way as Christians. We have to have uh, faith in God and that understand that, uh, you know, Romans eight twenty eight for all things work together for good to them that know God, to them that love the Lord, to them that are called according to his purpose. And 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, you know, 
wherefore nor hath no temptation hath taken you, but such as is common to man. And, and God has provided a way. God has put us in these situations in order for us uh, to be a bold and effective witness for him. And we need to have that boldness. So um, as we go through this week, uh, prepare for, for Saturday, prepare for Sunday. Sorry, not Saturday, for Sunday. Um, pray and uh, seek God's strength. Seek God's wisdom seek God's eyes so that we can see the world because I guarantee down there we're going to see people that we don't want to talk to we're going to see things that we really don't want to see that we don't want to deal with um, I, I I joke that we are next to the wine trailer I'm a little frustrated but God knows and God put us there for on purpose uh, it, it's not by coincidence that that's where God put us so uh, we have to go into it knowing that God has a plan and God has a purpose and that uh, we are still just called to be a witness, that we are called to, to proclaim what we've seen, uh, to witness what we've seen, and, and to tell what we know. And that's Christ. So pray along those lines this week, and uh, we will pray and be dismissed.